This is Susie G, and this is episode 7. Today's episode closes out this cluster of episodes about the death of belief systems. My guest is Jared Garrett. Jared is a writer, a podcaster, a husband and father. He and I met several years ago when we were invited into the same writing critique group. At that time, he was writing a couple of novels, one of which is now published and titled Beyond the Cabin. Beyond the Cabin is fictional, but it's based on Jared's upbringing in a group that began as a fundamentalist offshoot of Scientology. It later morphed into more of a commune and animal rescue, and that animal rescue still exists today. I love it. It's called Best Friends and it's located in Southern Utah. Today, Jared shares a little bit about his upbringing in this group, tells how he left it, and talks about his later conversion to the LDS faith. A much deeper look into his upbringing can be found on his own podcast, called Tales from a Cult Insider. Today we're going to have one more conversation about being born into one belief system and leaving it to find a different belief system that works for you. So please enjoy this peek into Jared's world. Here's my pal, Jared Garrett. You ready? Here we go. Tell me about your upbringing. Okay, you asked. (laughs) So here we go. I uh, was born into a cult, um, and I was raised in it and got out via, a deliberate plan and a lot of luck when I was 17. Mm-hmm. Um, I only found out the origins of the cult, the true origins of the cult, um, when I was about 35. So about 10 years ago, uh, that's when I found out that it had been, it had splintered off of Scientology. Wow. in the 60s in Oxford and um what all I knew or all I was aware of cult origin wise was that it had started in England um at a university and that it had been uh had had a tr- had some troubles there and left there gone to Mexico and Canada and the USA and wound up staying in the USA uh and morphed from its old original um very 60s um, doctrinal approach to, by the time I was about 13 or 12, um, a very vanilla, nondescript um, melting pot of doctrines. Mm. Um, m- a lot of Anglican type of ritual and tradition mixed with a bit of Jewish stuff and a little bit of, uh, the word I want to say is Druid, although it's not really, some, I mean, some just kind of more new agey practice stuff. Um, and then just basic evangelical. Mm. So it was, but I mean, none of that, none of that was by design by that time. They didn't care too much about doctrine or, or their practice. They were mostly focused on being a commune and rescuing animals. And so I was born and raised in that situation and was, um, spent a lot of my years, uh, surrounded by animals in various stages of life and death. Um, and I mean, the stories are countless. That's why I do my own podcast with, with stories about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't want to just fill this up with that. But I mean, I've scooped two tons of dog poo in my life. Um, I have, I used, I lived in a house basically with a bunch of other kids. Uh, I get, let, let me sum that up and then the, that's where I can stop with this kind of summary. But mm-hmm. so when kids were born in this cult, um, they, they weren't always born. They, they were obviously born to women, but they often didn't know who their actual father was because their mom may have been um, technically, legally, or just cult level married to somebody else. Mm-hmm. I was born in Chicago um, and was my mother's third son. 
and was given to believe most of my young childhood that this mm-hmm. British guy that she was technically married to was my father. Uh, when I was about eight or nine, I found out that that wasn't the case because I looked like that other dude. And I asked him, hey, are you my father? And he got permission to tell me the truth and that he was my father. Mm-hmm. Um, by that time, he'd spent he'd done his best to spend as much time as he, with, with me as he could. But the cult practice was like Scientology practice. Uh, adults weren't supposed to be raising their kids by any means. Um, as soon as the kids were weaned, essentially, and able to be cared for by anybody else than their mom, they were dropped into this orphanage-type group um, where all the rest of the kids were, 20 to 30 of them, as the cult went on, uh, and raised as a group with all the rest of the kids. It was a lot like... Um, a lot like an orphanage, except for our kids, our parents were alive. Um, so and, in the same uh, area, but just or part of the same group, but in a different area? Yeah. That, so, okay. for example, my first memory of that was when we lived in Manhattan. Um, and the one of, one of my most vivid memories is where all the kids slept, which was one big room. And about 20, 30 kids slept on um, blankets of some kind or sometimes in a sleeping bag. Um and we were just kind of scattered around the room. And then when we were doing awake activities, we were like in some other part of the house or we were in a common room and the adults were out doing their things, uh, which consisted of a lot of things, including running a coffee shop, um, publishing a weird magazine out on the street, trying to raise money for their charitable efforts, which was usually towards rescuing animals and rehabilitating animals for adoption. Um, but yeah, we kids, we just were kind of kept all in a group as much as possible and tried to stay out from underfoot because if we got underfoot, we got yelled at and stuff. Uh, and that was our situation for many years until they got several branches established throughout the around the United States, mostly mm-hmm. in the Western. And uh, we were sort of divided up uh, throughout the branches for many years until I was about 11 and Dallas became the most... Uh, was a branch that became very financially stable due to the person who ran it. And because it was so stable, they opened their little private school that they called Faith School. And over about two or three years, they got every kid from every other branch into Dallas going to that school. And so at that point, and for the rest of my time in this cult, I lived in the same house as about 15 other boys um, and shared a room with most of them because there weren't that many rooms. And... um, got to, you know, just basically live life with those other boys as if they're sort of sort of siblings, but not really. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the girls all lived in a different house because you can't have genders mixed up. Oh, no, they could have sex and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, they were very paranoid about that kind of thing. But it, it was mostly needless paranoia because they were our sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, that was our lives essentially growing up. So for about seven years, I lived in the same house as a bunch of other boys. And we went to, to the school building, which was also the headquarters, their kind of charity headquarters for, for that branch. Um, and then we would go home. But it was like being homeschooled because I spent all my life with these guys. Right. And um, anytime we weren't at school, we were basically ignored uh, unless we pissed somebody off. And then we were screamed at, yelled at, and reamed and um, other bad things, sometimes worse. And uh, that was that until I finally got out when I was 17. What's the expectation when, so I guess you, you know, you're kind of separated from your, you're separated from your parents, um, yes. you're raised together. And then what's the expectation once you become an adult that you then, what, how does that oh, work? Great question. Yeah. So they, 
it's clear that they were trying to groom us and train us to be able to participate fully as full mm-hmm. full members of the cult of the and by then it was it, yes it was a cult because of its somewhat fringe religious beliefs but it was much more of a commune a group of people with united ideas about what they wanted to do uh, with a united purpose um so, but yes there the expectation was that we were being trained and groomed uh and encouraged uh to take over eventually be the leadership certainly to be contributing members of of the commune and, and the charity which became a full-on animal rescue um by the time i was about 15 that was the that was their focus was animal rescue um and yeah I, and, and in some cases there, there may have even been a few kids who were um expected to have certain positions in the cult because of their somewhat mystical approach to life um there was a lot of belief in reincarnation and other afterlife type things or second life type things i i sometimes got the impression that the way i was treated there was an expectation of something like that for me Mm -hmm. um mainly because i had the same birthday as the the existing leader of the group Uh, and also because i didn't get as much crap as some others did um I, i got plenty but Certainly less than a lot of other folks did. Mm. But the fact that you had the same birthday maybe meant something? Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, one, one of the kids was um, it was widely taught that she was the reincarnation of another kid's mother. Mm. I'm pretty sure she's not. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> There's no indication that she is. Uh, but uh, that, was the, that was the widely held and taught belief mm-hmm. that that was the case. Yeah. Um, a couple other things about the situation is that, you know, yes, we were separated from mom and dad or from mom because dad was never really supposed to be in the picture. Um, mm. And that that doesn't mean that that was the case for everybody. When kids got divided up into different branches, if their parent, their mom particularly, or if their mom and dad who may have been still together were senior enough, maybe even leaders of the designated branch, they could get their kid with them in that branch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that some there is a good number of kids who ended up actually growing up for many years as their parents' kid. Um, uh, I can think of at least six or seven kids who, who my peers, who actually grew up with their parents. Mm-hmm. I know they didn't call them mom and dad. Um, they still called them by their first names and they still had to say, God bless you every time they saw them, um, which is as if everybody was sneezing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that was that was our situation. Um, and so it's funny that I grew up with about 30 other kids, but each of us really did have our own individual experience. Mm-hmm. Um, my interactions with my parents consisted of um, my dad doing his best until I was about 11 um, to spend time with me and then him just being cut off completely. They weren't allowed allowing him any at all to spend time with me. Um, and my mother and then my father too, uh, calling me on my birthday and on Christmas. And the conversations usually consisting of, hey, how's it going? What were your gifts? You'll get something from me in the mail in a little bit. Um, and that was that. So at what point did you know you that's not where you wanted to be? Like the first thoughts of I'm not going to stay in this. I knew uh, from a pretty young age, about at least at, no later than age eight or nine, that this was not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly because at that by that point, I had I, I was really aware I was really aware of the fact that it was not a, a normal life. I'd gone to some public school by then. Um, 
and saw other kids who had different lives. I mean, you don't have to have a mom and a dad to have a normal life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, having a parental relationship is good. Um, I mean, I, so I saw, you know, kids with divorced parents um, and interacted with them. They were my friends. But, but I saw that this was just a very different situation from mine. Mine was right. so uniquely weird uh, and so isolated despite being surrounded by all these people. Um, yeah, so I knew that I didn't like it. And my dream from about age 10 was to have my own family. That was my biggest dream, was to have my own family with my true love um, and have probably a fair number of kids. It's working out pretty well. And at the age of 11 um, was when I determined that I would get out as quickly as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a bit of a step ahead uh, on the whole rebel get out because my oldest brother had been born outside of the cult. Um, and so when my mother was recruited, she was married and had him already. And so when they joined, he was three or four. He, he knew what life was like without it or outside mm-hmm. of the cult. And so he was just pissed the whole time. He wanted to get out. He felt mistreated. Uh, he felt like the cult had destroyed his family, which was true. Mm-hmm. Um, his dad had been drummed out of the cult while his mom was kept. Uh, she was very loyal and he was kept, of course, in. Um, and he got out when he was 16, when I was about seven. So I, I mean, and he'd been complaining to me. <laughs> For years, you know, he treated mm-hmm. me like like an actual brother, which probably is a big part of why I'm not as insane as I could possibly be. Um, so early on, you saw that there was, you know, a different way, a way yeah. out that people. Yeah, yeah, and it was always framed in anger um, and bitterness from him, from Daniel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I mean, that certainly informed the way I saw the cult was that through that lens of bitterness and anger. Right. Um, and then there was also plenty of reason to to feel it of my own, you know, because because we all had crap going on. I haven't asked all the kids, hey, could you list all the abuse that you you experienced in the cult for me? Um, but I can tell you that some of those kids stayed uh, and call their mother mom now. And mm-hmm. um, on Mother's Day, they say sweet things about their mom and even their dad. Um, and I say nice things to my dad because we have a relationship that's still building, but I can't imagine having ever having ever being in a situation where I would possibly be able to say my mom has been great mm-hmm. because she never was. And then she passed. She was her own great, mm-hmm. her own version of great. But uh, it, it was never. a Yeah, I don't, it's, it's hard for me to describe without being too wordy. Um, the best th- the best thing I've gotten to this point for my for my dad is that we are we have a good relationship, but I don't know how to be a son. I just know how to be Jared to his dadness. Yeah. So we're friends. Yeah. Get along well. So is he still part of that group then? No, no. He, okay. he um, so my mom stayed until she passed, um, wow, near 20 years ago. Um, and my dad, he, so I think it was, they got called married when I was seven. And I found out a little while later that he was my dad. Um, but then some years later, he was already with a different woman in the cult. Mm-hmm. They had a daughter when I was 11, uh, named Emma. And uh, they determined together that they weren't going to follow the rules and they made sure they kept her with them. The cult was successful in getting her away from them when she was about two, I think, or even younger, which they were peeved at. They were very upset with it, with that. My dad went and got her from another branch. So my dad, my dad and his wife and their daughter were living at the headquarters in Southern Utah. Um, and the cult successfully got Emma away to Denver at a very young age, and my dad said, screw this, and went and got her after after probably too long. Um, then they got her away again, and he went and got her and said, screw that, 
we're, we're not doing this anymore. And they said, you got it. You got to send her to Dallas because that's where all the kids are. And my dad um, and his wife, Susan, said no. And they said, you have to leave now. And so they were kicked out, essentially, um, because mm-hmm. they wouldn't give her up. And they moved into Kanab, which was seven miles south of where the, the headquarters was. Um, yeah, so he'd been out. I don't know. Let's see. That out. They, they'd probably been out for two, maybe three, maybe three years at the most before I, I was able to get out. So what does that look like, like your planning and your execution of that? How how did you get out? Well, um, one of the boys that I was living in a house with in, in Dallas really made a lot of the people mad, especially the leader of the branch. Uh, her name was Lucia. She, she got so pissed off at him that she said, you're banished. And she kicked him out and sent him to Faith Canyon, the, the ranch they were trying to sell, to help be one of the workers there. Uh, we had all already learned how to use a lot of big machinery. We were already hard workers. We'd been sent out to um, the new headquarters called Angel Canyon uh, for two months out of every summer for five summers and helped build <clears throat> so many cat and dog structures, done a lot of drywall. So we knew what we were doing. Mm-hmm. He was kicked out of Dallas to do hard labor at Faith Canyon and help maintain it. And I'm like, what? That's cool. He He's nowhere near this crazy woman who's in charge of everything. Mm-hmm. What could be better? And so I thought, well, I think that what I'll do now is I'm going to piss everybody off and get kicked out too. But I'm never coming back. So I started collecting boxes from like a store here or a store there, um, breaking it down, sliding it between my mattress and my box spring or hiding it deep under my bed. Um, and then... I started deliberately and strategically making the adults mad, uh, calling them out on the way they were treating other kids, um, calling them out on the way they were talking down to us, kind of sending us to us, um, giving us no opportunities to express ourselves, doing it in public. And in some cases, I would go and um, piss off the crazy woman's husband, who was a British man, an original founder. He was verbally always abusive when he would uh, try to get the kids to listen to him, but sometimes he was even physically abusive. And so a couple of times I went into a room where he was shouting at one of the kids, the, the younger kids, and would just stand there in an obvious place until he got so angry he yelled at me instead of that kid. And then, um, I mean, he couldn't do anything to me because I was stronger than him. I'd been working out for five years and was also meditating as a sort of a practicing Buddhist for some time. Um, so he couldn't ruffle me, he couldn't hurt me, he had no control over me. And it was fantastically freeing for me to just stand there and let this guy yell at me and just let it go, just wash off me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that made everybody mad. And I did eventually get kicked out. I had about a week's notice. And so I packed up all my things in about eight or 10 boxes, taped them up really tight all over uh, with duct tape I'd been gathering as well. And then marked all over them. These are Jared's send when he calls for them and then put them at the very back of my closet and then went off to Faith Canyon, the Arizona ranch. And um, step one done, just like mm-hmm. that. It was great. And my plan was to be there for a month or so, try to figure out where I wanted to end up, um, possibly even just hitchhike out of there. Um, and was I was gearing up to to kind of to make a, like a timeline for that because I expected to be there for a month or two. But then about a month, five weeks or so into my stay there, which was a really great time. I mean, I have I have a lot of powerful experiences there, um, very introspective experiences. Um, I, uh, we got word that most of the members of the Dallas branch of the commune cult had walked out and following soon after, as word, uh, was passed on many other branches, members 
mostly had walked out as well. Wow. And people were being sent all over to all those branches to close them all down, pack them all up and get anybody who was loyal and all the materials that they had left and as much money as they could get their hands on to the center headquarters, which was in the, the, the big ranch in, in southern Utah. Uh, so lucky me, there was no branch to be sent back to. Mm -hmm. um, was there so like one inciting told... thing that like, why was everyone like, did, did, did anything sure. specific happen? Oh. No, nobody's ever told me if there if there was. My dad wouldn't know it because he was out already. And mm -hmm. then the adults will not talk about those things. They right. will not talk about it. And the, the kids don't get it together enough. Um, but I really don't know. My inclination is that the Dallas members were just just unbelievably unsatisfied and dissatisfied and angry and left. And that was the inciting event because mm -hmm. Lucia was insane. Um, she was she was epically awful to them, uh, but she was also getting a lot of results and making a lot of money for the group. Um, but yeah, so there was no branch for me to go back to. So my mother, who was um, an important person in the cult at that point, she'd been there for a long time. She was the handmaiden of the mysterious leader who I didn't even know existed. See, the leader I shared a birthday with, <laughs> he wasn't the real leader. The real leader is this 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 woman who acted like she didn't even exist, she, but she had her own big mansion deep into the ranch, and my mother was her handmaiden, which is funky. But my mother called me uh, at about six weeks and said, Jared, um, we've closed the branches because we want to focus our efforts on our the animal rescue, and we want to bring it all much more concentrated and close, which is a nice spin. Um, so you have the option of moving to here, Angel Canyon, uh, and living with the rest of the kids who are going to stick around. But your father has also said that you could stay with them if you'd like to. And I, to spare her feelings, because I'm a nice guy, mm -hmm. I said, give me a couple of days to think about that. I'm like, there's no brainer. This is a no brainer. I'm moving in with him, with my dad, who I called Enoch at the time. Um, so a couple of days later, I said, yeah, that's where I'm going. And then two weeks later, I was there. And I spent my senior year of high school living in their li rolling on a futon every night, sleeping in their living room on their on mm -hmm. the floor there. Um, but yeah, that both planning and luck. Um, I I just wish that I could have had a little closed circuit camera or something recording the reaction of the person who walked into my old closet in Dallas to gather stuff and found all my stuff in boxes labeled sent to Jared. So you never got any of that stuff. I got it all. I did. Oh, you did? They, they, they really did, yeah, because they packed up everything and just, I mean, there were, people spent months trying to search through all this, this giant pile of stuff that came from four different branches, but my stuff was in about eight, eight or nine boxes, mm -hmm. and it was all taped up and labeled. I found my stuff day one. I walk in, look around, there's my stuff, put it in my dad's truck, we drove away, we were done. It was fantastic. Wow. Yeah, pretty cool. So I got lucky. I'm, there's no doubt I got lucky. Mm -hmm. Um if the if the great a uh, breakup hadn't happened when it did, I would have ended up hitchhiking probably to um, Tacoma actually, and um, life would have been much different. Mm -hmm. so, okay, so I know the animal rescue you're talking about. Yeah. Um, yes. So the origins are this cult. Yes. Okay, is the cult still around in that form Not or a different form? Not at all. Okay. Um, so they were this cult commune for years, decades even, and they had these branches, and then uh, it all kind of fell apart in 91, um, and then they got, everybody ended up in the same, just on the headquarters, their best friends, and they, and no no malice, I have all respect for them, mm -hmm. um, no, no malintent for them whatsoever. They uh, continued with religious type practice uh, till about 94-ish, um, maybe 93, 
whereupon they just said no more of this we are an animal rescue that's mm -hmm. all we do now y'all can have your beliefs y'all can go pray to the moon if you want to which we did sometimes as part mm -hmm. of the celebrations or rituals on sunday um but we are an animal rescue we are pure charity uh that's it mm -hmm. and that was that uh so no more cult whatsoever their origins do are, are mm -hmm. cult, and it was a right. scientology um practice some yeah some funky scientology stuff which i uh, still draw on today sometimes okay so that's my question having this as you know a very integral base part of your upbringing did you have um any issue with when you separated from that you know feeling bad feeling guilty feeling was there any trepidation about leaving or once you left did you keep any of that with you how did you sort out all of that so, out so it, it's interesting i had no trepidation or guilt or loyalty to the group mm -hmm. i just never did um i felt very tender feelings for the kids that i grew up with um loved them very much um in a in, in a fairly inactive way uh because when i got out i was out Mm -hmm. And I was happy to be out and I was closing the door. That said, I still went up there uh, because I wanted to see my mother and I wanted to try to become a son and have her be a mom to me. Didn't work out, but I did go up. I went up every several weeks um, on Sunday and would have lunch with her up there um, and join in on the uh, Sunday ritual, religious stuff um, with zero belief in it whatsoever. Just and you were welcome an, there to go time. visit? For a time, I was welcome there. Um, because I was not causing any harms. I wasn't disrupting mm -hmm. anything. In fact, um, during that school year, uh, I mean, I moved to Kanab, Utah. There was a lot of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, right? A lot of Mormons. Mm -hmm. um, I was invited to church a ton, and I went one time and thought it was dull. And I invited them to come up with me sometime on a Sunday. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mostly turned down. But one time I got up there, and 30 minutes later, some dude comes over and says, Jared, there are four very beautiful girls here looking for you. Like, are you serious? <laughs> yes, they're very pretty. Thank you. So I went out there and literally the four most popular girls in high school, in Kanab High School, were sitting there waiting for the whole celebration thing to start. The celebration is what we call our Sunday services. I'm like, what are you girls doing here? <laughs> I had maybe spoken to them a couple of times in class here and there or an activity here and there. Like, you said we should come up and see. I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> so they sat through this whole thing, and it was so weird to watch their faces go, like, get wider and whiter. Because <laughs> it was never, it was never like, a weird, harmful rituals that were done, but the songs uh -huh. were bizarre, uh, and there was a lot of gongs and a lot of incense. Um, so that was funny. But, again, all of that, I had no loyalty and no fear of leaving it, mainly because the God that they had been teaching was not any god that uh, I believed in. Um, mm -hmm. I tried out the god that they they taught they tried to teach me, and he was capricious, and he was angry a lot, like what Medi said. That mm -hmm. that was God. Um, I tested God in many ways. I'm like, if you're real, God, um, this cup of my wa of water that I shouldn't be drinking because it came out of this poisoned well, tell, make it not poison anymore. I taste it; it's still poison. Um, that's asinine, right? <laughs> but what are you gonna do? Um, at around age 13, I decided I didn't believe in God, and um, but also had a terrible, terrible temper. And so I started researching ways to control my temper, and Bruce Lee impressed me a lot. Um, and so I uh, bought a book on Buddhism 
and read it cover to cover several times and didn't necessarily become a like a worshiper. I mean, a Buddhism isn't worship anyway. Uh, became a practicing Buddhist, though. Mm -hmm. uh, lots of meditation, lots of uh, reading of Siddhartha and other type of things that about nirvana and getting calm and getting control of yourself. Um, Buddhism were, saved, saved Were you that. allowed to to read things like that? Did did your leaders know that you were reading things like that? Was that okay to read widely and have, you know? If, if they'd known that I had that, they would have probably said no. Um, but I also didn't feel like I had to hide it because nobody was watching me. Mm -hmm. um, we were just left alone for many hours of every of every day. Um, and if nothing else, I could find a quiet place to have no eyes on me for mm. hours, sometimes full days, depending on the stage of, of the evolution of that cult. Um, and so, yeah, the, the Buddhism really helped me. Um, it helped me uh, a lot with meditation, and I became very good at meditation. And I miss, I don't do it as much as I should anymore, and my kids need to learn how to do it too. Uh, and so I'm actually planning on kind of re-upping in my meditation, doing it some more and teaching my kids to do it because, I mean, I think tempers are a bit genetic and I had a big one. Mm. It was a problem, a big problem. I didn't like it. But then I got out and uh, still didn't believe in God. Uh, had no reason to. I was a happy, happy atheist mm. uh, and didn't feel any kind of connection to the cult at all, but certainly drew value on it from it because some of the, some of the practices they had us do uh, before school every day we had this class called focus class and they would have us do these things called steps which were just exercises but not physical like not like calisthenics um but one example was the ex acceptance step where you would sit across from another person we would just sit in this long the two rows uh, where we face each other and you're sitting directly across from someone um and you would just be told begin and you could you had to sit there totally still looking the other person in the face in the eyeballs making zero expression just accepting them accepting the world accepting your own self and your own headspace and being completely at ease with it all no reaction no judging at least not in the face showing zero emotion um that's a really helpful skill if you want to lie real good um and it also helped with acting um and they even had us pretend they had us act but they actually wanted us to pretend to uh, to be convincing in emotions um, wow. more than anything else. So that was that's been very helpful for me my whole life. Um, unfortunately, too much the other way. I became a chronic liar for many years because of mm -hmm. my ability to be convincing in my lies. But now, now, because I'm so good at schooling my own expressions, um, uh, something about that is switched so that I can read other people's expressions mm -hmm. really, really, really well. I'm very good at reading, and I think that that's part of. I think that a lot of people who come from a broken home where they they never are sure of their standing, uh, mm -hmm. their footing where they are, like if that person could blow up, fly off the handle and do something damaging to them. I think a protective um, strategy that we build in ourselves uh, is the ability to read a room and read a person really fast so that yeah. we can adjust our own uh, posture and stay yeah. safe. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely look back on all that and say I draw a lot from it. Uh, beliefs, though, um, and practices. Everything they did was a good non-example. So when we started having kids, every so often I'd be like, you know, when I was a kid, and I'd finish the sentence sometimes. Now I say when I was a kid, and Anne Marie and I just burst out laughing, <laughs> right? Because there's there's literally nothing that's okay. Nothing. Yeah. There's even it's so funny because I 
I want my kid, our kids to be good workers and stuff. But the way I was taught to be a good worker sucked. Mm-hmm. So when I was a kid, doesn't apply in my life, except for when I was a kid, let's not do what happened to me. Do you have relationships now with how many people from that group? Many? Oh, it's interesting. My relationships with people. Um, I, so I went to my one year of public high school in Kanab, graduated number two in the class um, and ended up giving a, a speech at graduation. And in it, I made a joke, which I thought was funny, uh, but, and so did a lot of the crowd, but a lot of the, the, the cult members were there because we, there were a lot of kids my age and they were all graduating with me from that school. Um, it pissed them right off. Like they feel their, their thought was that this joke had uh, sullied their good name. Um, and I was blacklisted. Mm. Um, I wasn't allowed up there for a couple of years, but I kept in touch with my mother. Um, and throughout the rest of my journey, you know, while she was still alive, uh, we stayed in relatively okay touch. We talk every couple of months on the phone when we traveled, she would send letters and stuff. Um, when I got back from Brazil, um, I worked with her for a little while because she'd opened a little restaurant on behalf of the animal sanctuary. Uh, as for kids, um, we have a secret group on Facebook mm. and it comes and goes, waxes and wanes. Um, with the adults, I have no relationship with them mm. um, except for with in another secret group um, on Facebook, I talked to people who were early adopters, early joiners of the cult before I was even born. And then around the time I was born. Um, so they know the, the cult at a, from a different time right. and they know me as a baby. Um, and I've met one or two of them in later, later in life. And I'm dear friends with a couple of them because they're just these sweet people and they're beautiful hippies. Um, I just love them. Uh, but none of the people I was raised by, quote unquote, raised by. I don't have a relationship with them. Every mm-hmm. so often we will show up at Best Friends to let the kids see the dogs and the cats. Um, my older brother, the one who's still alive, uh, he's still got a pretty good relationship with people. His his father was still in it. He was an original founder. Um, he passed away just a year or two ago. But he's got a relationship with a lot of those folks because he's been much better at being having a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do show up every so often and people express pleasure at seeing me. And there's there's also something in the eyes that you can just tell that if I try to bring up anything touchy or anything about the past, I'm going to be shut out and probably blacklisted mm-hmm. again. Um, yeah. But I've also gone on to a, a far different life from what right. anybody could have possibly expected, even me. Um, so we just we just have such different lives and experiences and priorities. And uh, we put our energy towards very different things now. And so I like them. Um, in many ways, I love many of them. Some of them were comforts throughout, throughout life. And, um, it's, it's hard to verbalize any more than that about my relationship with those guys. Yeah. Okay. So tell me how your life transitioned after you left. I moved to Kanab, Utah. Then I started going to school and during that week is, you know, registering, but I started going to school about a week late and, um, was, uh painfully in a shy i was in a in a very thick shell um which was basically me my whole life you know i was very much not even an introvert i mean in, introvert it, it's just scratching the surface um yeah i was just very shy very quiet um but when i needed to talk to people i was extremely good at it right i could really mm-hmm. negotiate in meaning and in, in, in conversations very well um 
I made some great friends really fast because one of the kids I'd grown up with in the cult had gotten out a year or two before, was living in an apartment in Kanab, and he'd made friends with a bunch of seniors in high school and juniors in high school, and they were playing D&D. A lot of it. Mm. And because he was one of my best friends in the cult, I became friends. It was like I basically had a preset group of friends who I, I just meshed with really well um, because I was a weirdo like those guys. They were the weirdos of the small town. You know, you can just imagine right away. Oh, they're the ones with the piercings or the weird hair or the uh, listening to the alternative. Like they would listen to Depeche Mode and The Cure um, back in back in 91. Um, and um, so it was it was like there was just this pre-made prefab group of friends, which I was able to just say to just land in. And they were generous and warm and kind. Um, they let me get involved in literally everything they were doing. All the stupid sports games they would play, which were not safe um, at all. All the hiking, all the the, the, bon- the numerous bonfires, uh, the, the hilarious local access TV show that they did on Monday nights. A little bit like Wayne's World, but mm, crazier and more illegal. Um they just they just welcomed me into the group and I played D and D with them a lot and hung out with them a lot and um, managed the the the, the thrift, thrift store there in town for a while um, and um, that was the best thing that could have happened to me just no expectations of how I was supposed to behave having a warm safe place for me to land uh, I am sure that God said you get this now mm-hmm. um, no doubt about it and. Uh, that, that's why I dedicated my seventh novel to them, to every single one of them. Um, they're the best, and I cannot express the impact that their warmth gave, had on me. And and it's not just them; it's most of them. Their moms and their dads too. Honestly, um, Cherry Owens, for one, was she's like a saint. She passed way too early in life, and but 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 I got to spend years with her, and she's she's great. They're all great. Uh, they're as warm and genuine and, and, and sweet as you could possibly imagine. So that was a great year for me of finding my bearings and then um, telling everybody I was an atheist, even though they kept wanting me to go to church and me having zero desire to go to organized religion. None. I'd spent my life with people who were insincerely practicing a religion I couldn't even put my finger on. Mm. But finally, I relented and I went to one of their one of their uh, LDS church meetings. Of course, at the time. I mean, Mormon and LDS have always sort of meant the same thing, I guess. But I thought there were two different religions. I thought Kanab was split by LDS and Mormons. It was funny. Mm. Um, who's LDS here and who's Mormon? <laughs> Everybody laughed at me. Uh, I went to a, a service and thought it was dull. Then I went to a testimony meeting and I thought it was dull, but impressive because youth, my age, my peers, even younger, would go up and sincerely talk about religious beliefs that they actually mm. believed in God and some sort of external power and plan. And while I thought it was hilarious that that could possibly even be a thing, um, I was impressed with them and their sincerity because that's not what I had experienced my whole life. It was all mm-hmm. very cynical in my in my view growing up. Um, so I still had no interest whatsoever in it, but I they impressed me um, as practitioners and as human beings. Um, and, and obviously, as you know, I did later join the church um, and... My journey to that was there's no particular visible steps to it or phases to it. It's a fairly lengthy story. It involves, in kind of very vague terms, um, surprising interactions with something outside of me, mm-hmm. um, where uh, 
unexpectedly I went from God doesn't doesn't exist and isn't real to oh my gosh he is real and there's more than a he up there there's no doubt about it and I have parents in heaven and they've loved me this whole time I could be so much worse without them um and then lots of other experiences um I got a summer job as a cowboy uh doing cowboy theater and doing uh quick draw and cracking a whip and being doing melodrama on this great stage uh and one of the other kids that got this job became my best friend and when the show was over uh by the end of the show we were exhausted he was playing five roles i was playing four roles in addition to being the main hero of the big the big production um we'd go and get a burger and a soda We'd sit on a wall, a stone wall in the dark, and we would just talk for hours, eating our burger, drinking our soda. And he was firmly a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, right? He was very firm. He was preparing for a mission. He got his mission called during that period of time, ended up going to Kenya. Um, and he was just always kind about it, never pushy, but always matter-of-fact and open about his beliefs. Um, and he would listen to me well. And again, I can't say this was the turning point. Mm-hmm. for me to go towards this disorganized religion but i still had no interest in organized religion he went on his mission i had no interest in organized religion by the time he went on his mission i still didn't even believe in god um i had my my first experience with deity like that um sometime later um but um it's funny how uh when an opportunity comes your way that challenges or an opportunity or an experience that challenges what your experience has been, you get this choice, right? You get this choice to say, there's a thing. Um, what do I do about that now? You know, mm-hmm. is it, this was a thing. I'm glad it happened. We're done. Or does this really, does this challenge everything? This may challenge everything. And in my case, I, I had those questions. I said, well, something just happened. This is, this is challenging everything. And for two or three days after I had a specific experience, I was in kind of a, a fog of deep 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 introspection um where all of the cynicism all the jadedness of the way i grew up all of the fear as well of control people trying to control me me trying to trying to make me conform to stuff fought what i this experience that i had just had that was undeniable um led to the point of me saying i don't i don't know what to do mm-hmm. but i think that i'm supposed to do something here Whatever the choice is, I'm not entirely certain of what the options are, but I know something that's tell- something here is telling me to do this. And the rest of me is saying, but that's terrible because that's joining another church. Don't do that. That's You're out of your freaking mind. Don't you remember? You don't believe in God. But, mm. but now you do, though, Jared. So it's it's hard. I ramble. But it's, it's hard to put my finger on um, all of the little steps. However, uh, I had an experience. And I sought answers and the answers came. And one of the answers was, you are now going to join this church. Mm. You don't believe anything that they're saying to you yet. Maybe you will eventually. But right now, what you believe is there's God. You have a family in heaven. They want you to do this thing. It's important to you to do this thing right now, no matter how little you understand about it. Go do it. And so I did. Um, And then... uh, had deep, powerful experiences every Sunday in a dull, dull, dull sacrament meeting. Mm. <laughs> um, I would arrive in the chapel and 
these men who had spent generations as lumberjacks uh, on a now at that time by that time closed um, lumber industry it was closed down for for environmental reasons um, with these giant grizzled hands would come to me put one hand on my shoulder give me this big smile crush my hand warmly and say Jared I am glad to see you my friend <laughs> um, having never had people be happy to see me mm-hmm. especially adults men women whatever that was life-changing to me it was like wait just a minute there's a place for me here um, and people saying you you're basically been mormon anyway because i didn't like coffee i hated coffee and i liked alcohol just fine but i wasn't married to the idea and the thing i still miss after so long now is green tea why can't i drink green tea i want to drink green tea but I'm not supposed to, apparently. It's weird. I don't know. Um, but it's not worth it. I just miss it. I don't long for it or anything. I long for a little. Anyway, um, having a place um, was a first. It was a first. And so there's an argument to be made that, hey, Jared um, found an emotional place, not necessarily a religious place. But I did have a religious experience, mm-hmm. a spiritual experience with a force external to me. And I continued having those. Um, and saw with each step that I took, um, helping serve, helping teach, um, then prepare, starting to prepare for a mission four months after I even joined this church. I was preparing for a mission before I had anything remotely resembling what we call a testimony, right? Mm-hmm. Of anything except for God's real, Jesus is real. And scriptures are awesome. Um, all the Joseph Smith stuff, I really didn't believe it yet. Um, in any case, but that was the journey I was on. And I'm like, let's just do this thing. Let's do this thing. Let's see where it goes through prayer, through a lot of study, through a lot of delightful support of wonderful friends, um, was terribly unprepared to go on a mission, but was also perfectly prepared for it. I was in exactly the right place, went to the exactly right country for me, Brazil, full of warmth, comfort, good, um, and not a terribly hard language, which was nice. Um, and, it changed my life. Certainly can look back and kind of separate myself from who I am and what's, where my head is and where my heart and spirit are and say, wow, Jared, one cult to another, huh? Good job, buddy. Um, and uh, it, I can laugh at myself about that because it does, that's how it looks for many people, especially the kids I grew up with. And I don't really care. Yeah. This is in my DNA now. Um, yeah. As flawed as people are, as flawed as policies are, um, boy, howdy as flawed as culture is, um, there's an old guard and it's going away. And um, we're getting closer and closer to, I think, the way Jesus says to to do things. So I'm excited about that. So I feel like you had the group that you were born into that you consciously chose to leave. Yes. And then you kind of fell in with this group of friends, your D&D group who just happened to like, you know, like the universe gave you that. And then you found this other group that you chose to become part of, like, this is my group. These are my people. And it's, it's interesting because I, I have found in, I've been, I've been in this church for, since I was, boy, almost 19. So it's been 26 years, um, for a long time. And I've experienced many different aspects of it, um, around the world, um, seen tons of members of it. Um, and, um, 
it it's it's interesting because i i have i have there are things that i don't buy into because they're just not real not true um but what i do buy into is the sacred um the personal relationship with with a god um and in my opinion and in all the teachings that i've found god is there's a man and a woman up there female and male this is all it's how it's supposed to be it would be stupid if there was a father not a mother um but about that old guard thing and I, my bishop will probably call me once this airs <laughs> this idea this idea that okay we have a heavenly mother but we don't talk about her because god respects her too much that's not how you show respect you don't show respect by hiding a person that's a mistake in my opinion and when I go deeper into what's actually been taught proper, like actual taught taught by uh, the people who are supposed to be teaching the true doctrine and stuff, it says nothing of the sort. But there yeah. is an old guard. There are millions of old guard who are like, you must not. It is sacred. Mm-hmm. But that's BS. Right. I mean, we have a hymn. We have the fact that we're all created in the image, uh, which means there's obviously female. And so so there are things that I don't like about culture and so yes i choose to be a part of of this um but i choose to be a part of it in a way that uh i'm not disassociating myself from anybody at any time but i can stop and see that's not something i like that's not something that jibes with with what i know is real and true and right and good for all the people um so that let me study some of that and in some cases, I get to a point where I'm like, well, I don't understand any more of this. And I don't understand why that's happening, like a policy that I won't be very, very specific about, but I bet you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't make any sense to me. So, I, But the thing is, I've had the sacred. And I know that this is the place for sacred for me. Right. Um, so DNA says this. This little question is going to be here. And if I can answer it later, I'll take it. If not, I am... A, an adult grown human male or human being i can take complicated thoughts in my brain i can have opposing opinions on things like it's not that hard mm-hmm. um and it's best i think it keeps me it's nice to have a little bit of cynical mm-hmm. even when i am as deeply uncynical in many ways as as a person can be um i mean i think you're aware of some of the things that my my family and i have gone through yeah um with our adopted daughter with my wife's cancer. Um, for me, there's no denying. Um, there's just no denying an external power. Um, why would I bother? So I'll just keep trying to do my good in this place I've chosen.